you are listening to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Welcome to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm, where we talk to authors about a book that stuck with them, often through the years, often for good reasons, and often for bad ones. My name is Chris, he, him, I'm also known as C.M. Lowry. I love to read and write sci-fi. I mean, I like to write sci-fi, probably mostly read. I'm about 40 books into the Horus Heresy series at the moment, so... The the end still doesn't really seem like it's in sight. I recently released a book of flash fiction called The Die Decides. Find out more about me at allaboutchris.org and all over the social medias as they fracture and become more and more of them as at CM Lowry author. But we're not here to talk about me. We are here to talk to a different and better Chris. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Hello, Chris. Um, I'm not sure about better, but um, yes. Hi, so I'm, I'm Christopher John Eggett. Uh, I am a writer and um, games designer. Um, you may recognise me from um, talking excitedly to Chris at um, a game show like Aircon or, or UK Games Expo or something like that, where I was I was previously working as the editor of Tabletop Gaming. Um, these days I make um, small, silly, stupid games uh, under the title Ada Press, uh, which you can find on itch.io. Uh, so it's adapress.itch.io or something like that. You'll find it. It's fine. Fantastic, Chris. So welcome to the show. And why are you here? Well, there's this book I read. Okay, tell us about this book then, Chris. Um, so the book is uh, Number Nine Dream by David Mitchell. That's David Mitchell, the author, not the uh, chap from Peep Show. I think uh, we've, for- I think we've all made that mistake about David Mitchell multiple times, and like because David Mitchell, the chap from Peep Show, is such a like prolifically intelligent person, he's definitely going to write books, and then I will get confused about it again. I think it's quite reasonable. I, I think his Twitter bio used to be. Um, something not like that, not, not that not David the famous Mitchell. writer, yes, yeah, <laughs> or not the writer, um, yes. And so, Number Nine Dream is a um, story about a young a young man going to Japan, uh, not going to Japan, going to Tokyo. Um, it's all set in Japan. Uh, going to Tokyo uh, from his um, hometown in search of his long lost father, uh, and he is uh, hoping to uh, find him, um, but he doesn't really have a plan. And he sort of uh, gets gets involved with um, all sorts on his sort of quest to try and um, to try and find his father, uh, who he knows, um, who he believes is uh, contactable by talking to a lawyer at Panopticon, which is a uh, large um, firm in in Tokyo. Um, but that's that's kind of the the basic plot of what's going on. Um, more or less, uh, and the kind of inciting incident, and that that doesn't sound like anything unusual. But because it's David Mitchell, and because he's doing something like uh, magical realism, 
sort of modern modern magical realism. Um, what you get is a series of um, I'm going to say tricks, uh, backflips, stunts, literary stunts throughout the book. Um, so the first the first section of the book, and I'll only really ruin this first section for you. Um, you oh, yeah, need... yeah. Spo- spoilers <laughs> warning: there's going to be yeah. some ruining happening now. Apparently, well, <laughs> yeah. um, only only in that the first time I read this, I double checked. Because I was because I was seventeen when I first read this, um, uh, and you're I, you're I, I, you're nineteen now, aren't you? I know I've I've, I've yes, I'm very very worn <laughs> nineteen, um, and uh, yes, but the, the, so the first section he's sitting in a he's sitting in a cafe, he's thinking about crossing the road and going into the building and finding the lawyer who can tell him where his father is, um, and he goes through that, and then it starts again. He's back there again, and you sort of have a Groundhog Day thing, but each time it's a different scenario. <clears throat> and each of these, you know, it is in in the end imagined, and he wusses out. And that's kind of what it's about, is all these attempts at doing things, but he never quite manages to achieve it. Um, later, I mean, there's a version in that section even where he, pl- he picks up someone's um, kind of Game Boy, um, who's left it on the table and said, hey, can you just look after this for me? You can have a go if you want. And he um, he plays it. And the game is a game about coming home to your father. Um, and it's sort of all these like interesting, like like tweaked little retellings uh, of of the same story from several angles. And he this repeats and repeats and repeats. Later, there's a section where he's, um, for reasons I won't go into, uh, he um, is in the house of a short story writer. Um, and he... Uh, he doesn't quite know where he is for whatever reason. Um, so he's trying to work it out based on these short stories. And all he's got to read are the um, kind of like warm-up pages, the stupid warm-up stories that are being written by this writer before they go on to write what they're actually going to write in the day. Um, and so there's all these like little, 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 uh, I'm going to say again, stunts um, throughout the book, through each chapter where they each have kind of a theme um, and suddenly you'll uh, you'll find yourself shifting um, in a sort of kind of cinematic uh, and almost video gamey way. I feel I feel it's a lot of play, you know, formal play in the book, and that's what um, drew me to the book in the first place. Sounds interesting. Do you have a, a quote from us? That, for, a quote, not from us. A quote from the book that you'd like to share? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a simple matter. I know your name and you know mine. Once upon a time, E.G. Mayak. Yes, that's E.G. Mayak. We're both busy people, Miss Kato, so why not cut the small talk? I'm here in Tokyo to find my father. You know his name and you know his address. And you're going to give it to me, uh, going to give me both right now. Or something like that. A galaxy of cream and ribbons in my coffee cup and the background chatter pulls into focus. My first morning in Tokyo and I'm already getting ahead of myself. The Jupiter Cafe sloshes with lunch hour laughter, Friday plottings, clinking saucers. Drones bark into their mobile phones, she-drones hitch up sagging voices to sound more feminine. Coffee, seafood sandwiches, detergent steam. I have a across the street view of the Panopticon's main entrance. Quite a sight, the Sarconian Gothic skyscraper. Its floors are hidden by clouds. Under its tight-fitting lid, Tokyo steams, 34 degrees centigrade with 86% humidity. A big Panasonic display says so. Tokyo is so close up, you cannot always see it. No distances. Everything is over your head. Dentists, kindergartens, dance studios. Even the road and walkways 
up on murky stilts. Venice with the water drained away. I like I like that idea of like so, so close that you can't even see it. Yes, I mean so. Yes, and you could say you might listen to that and think, "Wow, that's that's slightly overwritten." What's he up to here? Um, that's sort of the joke. It's like a, a slightly a, a, a young man with ideas above his, you know, um, abilities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the world to try achieve it. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt and I felt that in the like even that jump from like you've got that that quite stark conversation between those mm. two people at the beginning there that's yeah. that hasn't got any descriptive language, hasn't got any, no. you know, it's just pure dialogue. And then you realize that's like a dream. And then and then it goes ridiculous immediately like murky, yes. like liquidy coffee Sorry, of, it, of morning. It, like Is it uh, does cream swirl into a galaxy? Yeah, so, yeah, something uh, like that. Like uh, <laughs> it's like, yes, a galaxy of cream and unribbons in my coffee cup. There we go. And yep. it's just like, okay, so you have got someone who wants to just, you know, flex a little bit here. Um, but it's actually uh so me as a 17-year-old, I was like, right, this is brilliant. This is obviously um, this is the reason. This is one of the reasons why I think I um, write still, which is that this is a book where I read it and I thought, "Oh, I'm allowed to do anything." Um, and this is this was that gateway to me to understand that um, yes, you can you can borrow from unexpected places. You can. You don't, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare and Dickens. You know, it could be. It could be anything. It could be a video game. If I want to, you know, reference Maryland too, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I, I think that's very I think that's very true about writing. I, I think one of the things I like about writing games is is because games are designed to be kind of torn apart by the people who read them, and they kind of you discard the bits you. We're talking about role play games here, like uh, mm -hmm. but you kind of discard the bits that you that you don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't really like that bit, so I'm just not going to have it in my game. It means you can really feel very free to to throw in like nonsense like I, the, i've got a game on kickstarter at the moment uh this is not really a plug for it because <laughs> by the time i get around to editing it the kickstarter will be over but um it's a hack of a game called morkborg um oh, yeah and uh and i but it opens i opened the kickstarter page by basically criticizing morkborg massively and saying finally someone has simplified the ridiculously overwrought game that is morkborg the joke being that morkborg's really simple and i messaged it i sent it to the uh, the creator of morkborg Johan Noor, who who replied saying, "Why ask? Why not? Why ask? Why when you can ask? Why not?" Is his response to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that that thing of um, uh, being able to put put anything in the game and then having um, people kind of interpret it, um, I think that's I actually think that's special to games in a way that um, not all novels, not all novel readers will agree with but almost every rpg reader will will know how to take apart an rpg book in a way that most you know readers of novels will but, not <laughs> but, but we can but we can do that with novels i mean a great example for me of like going yeah i'm just gonna discard that bit would be lord of the rings so we had a uh, chris another chris chris durston on a previous episode to talk about lord of the rings but my issue with Lord of the Rings is probably it's it's a bit long, um, but like the, <laughs> the multiple page songs in Elvish, um, I just don't need those. But actually, you know what? I just that doesn't actually hurt my enjoyment because I just to me they're just not really in the book, you know. Like as yes, in I, I, just, I must say I don't think I've ever read one of them. I think I I'm, you know I'm not even tried. I've gone no, I skipped this page. I guess. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, and I'm totally with you on that. Um, and there are, yeah, there are there are elements that we can, we can do that with. But Number Nine Dream has this, you know, permissiveness to it. So David Mitchell is still like a quite middle class writer. So there are still things where you might look at the bit where he talks about video games and you go. I'm not sure you've ever played a video game, but, <laughs> but still the fact that it's even a facsimile or close enough, you know, this is quite an old book now, um, means that you just have this chance to, re- you, you have this thing where it's just like, I'm going to, it's, I'm going to allow you to know about these things in my world. I'm not going to pretend this is literature where the only things that happen are dinner parties and arguments. You know, this yeah. is, <laughs> this, there are turgid, um, boring things in the world as well it is an interesting one isn't it it's interesting when you describe it as quite an old book because it was published in 2001 and it's ancient yeah it's isn't it it's weird how in a way that's like so it's you know in the in the grand scheme of literature on the on the pages of history you know it's it's quite young but uh i think i think the world has changed so much in terms of there was a bit in it in that in that bit you read that mentioned people on their mobile phones Mm. so immediately i i knew it was you know i knew it was in the last 30 years like but because that because that but you know actually even mobile phones will date quite as soon as you realize it's not a smartphone you know it's talking they're talking on the phones for a yep. start, which is not a thing that happens with phones anymore, <laughs> particularly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're just watching TikTok, I think. That's all they're yeah. for these days. Yeah, you're just, just scrolling, sighing at an email, changing an app, going to a different app, looking at it, being bored of that app, and go back to the first app saying, oh, God, I'll answer that email then. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm mostly just poking harder at one side of my screen because i i've got a new phone and then i dropped it and broke the screen oh, on, no. the, on the second day and then on the third day the protective case and screen protector arrived which was yeah. very annoying <laughs> What is your favourite thing about Number Nine Dream? Can I give you two answers? Absolutely not. You've broken oh, okay. the entire <laughs> flow the format, of the. I know. Yes, give us two answers. <laughs> so um, the first one is that um, it was the perfect book for me when I was seventeen. Right. So I'm I'm a uh, a guy uh, who's like with long hair, uh, trying to be in a band, trying to also be a writer. Um, being, but being seventeen in um, rural Cambridgeshire, and not really having the uh, means to um, to do either of those things to any to any real extent. And the number nine dream is a reference to the John Lennon song. So uh, the, the main character of this book is obsessed with John Lennon, uh, just John Lennon, not necessarily the Beatles. And um, although I think I believe he thinks they're fine, um, and uh, having that, it was a, a sort of perfect mix of things that I needed to have in a book at the time to draw me in. It was the kind of thing that pulled me into a book that made me think, I guess, this could be cool. It's about music. It's about Japan. And uh, there's like weird little video game references in it. There's something weird happening in the book. I don't quite know what that is. But it was the perfect book at that time to get me into this kind of writing, you know, in a way that I wasn't necessarily exposed to um, before, I think. Um, and then the other the other thing 
I like about it is just its form. So people might know David Mitchell from um, his more, well, I'm going to say his more basic book, um, Cloud Atlas, which is a series of portmanteaus, so books within books, Russian dulled story, um, where uh, through periods of time you head towards a post-apocalypse and then back out again, you know, in these sort of echoes of each of each other. Um, I don't really like that book very much because it's not as inventive as I, I feel as this, because this has characters I care about throughout and not just references. Um, but it does have this, they both have a thing he does a lot, which I love in any text, which is intertextuality. So it's this idea of a full living world. Um, we might come back to RPGs now. Um, a full living world of stuff and things that all connect to one another. Um, it's just in this one, there's people you care about in between them. Yeah. So that's that's what I love most about it. I, th- I think that intertextuality, and this one is the human version of that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a fully realized world um, that connects to other things. Yeah, I mean... I, I liked what you said about being overwritten. Um, and, yes. Uh, we've often, you know, you, you're more flowery than I am uh, in, in many ways, probably. Uh, but in, <laughs> in, terms of the, in terms of the floridness of your language, um, break apart intertextuality. Okay, intertextuality is, um, is when a uh, book has... So I, I usually like to use someone like Anne Carson to explain intertextuality. So uh, Anne Carson might reference several different things in the world, in the real world, and then by drawing lines between them forms meaning. So that that's what um, uh, intertextuality means in the sense of um, it's uh, text that speaks between other texts. Um, but in this in this case, it's even things like, you know, the Panasonic screen, say, in that little bit of reading I did there, yeah. or whatever it is, just things that are in the real world that you can you start to build up these these senses of um, meaning between just between two points, really, um, and that's and that's what that's what I find most most interesting. Was that an okay explanation? That was a good explanation, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you think it it does that more than? just a normal novel like because your normal novels got might have a panasonic screen in you know potentially um although I, I mean i suppose the point that it's a panasonic screen rather than a dell screen or whatever adds you know does it adds those flavors and it adds a japan vibe to to what you're saying there i i think not knowing if dell's yeah, think, from japan i don't I, think, I think dell's isn't, from japan. isn't dell um irish i thought that was an irish <laughs> brand is that right <laughs> i have no um, idea no, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I guessed. Um, so, um, so how does this do that more than more than other books? Well, because it also builds in um, things like uh, connecting, say, uh, basically reviews of Beatles songs, and then connecting them to um, things left in the um, left in the world. You know, there's um, that he's created as well. So things like. Uh, there's a, like a pop star that he's created, and then there's um, John Lennon, um, who this guy listens to like in his tiny uh, rented um, accommodation, you know. Yeah. And it's like, um, and he's sort of building um, the connections between those things and sort of putting them on a parity as well to say that that, that there's this world of um, of, of connecting things. Um, how does it do better than other books? I'm actually, I think, I think I might be failing to answer this. Um, oh, that's I mean, I, that's, that's fine. I, you can fail to answer it as well if you want. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, do, I just, it's just a, a, a book that um, links links a lot of 
I guess this comes back to that thing of me being 17 and wanting those things and then linking those things in with the stuff in the book in a way that makes all of it real. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit I, I liked, you know, because I think you've you've set the scene of of it's, you know, it, it's intentionally looking at like a 19-year-old, isn't it, I think? like a, but like, Something of, like, I couldn't, I didn't do the maths there, actually, because it's, no. it's four, it's four leap, leap years and 7,000 days or something like that, is that right? It's something <laughs> like that. So it's like, how many, so it's at least, I guess he's at least 12. But, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> Um, but like, actually, even that, you know, like as, you know, being into John Lennon, like, you know, on the one hand, you, like if if you're 19 and you're into John Lennon, you think you are the coolest, most alternative person in the world. But in reality, you've taken the biggest band in the world. Yes. And right. then the most notable, like side project that came from the biggest band in the world. And that's your definition of cool and really out there and alternative rather than actually the band playing in the pub down the road who no one's heard of like that's yes, actually yeah. like edgy that's and alternative right. um yeah uh, for for listeners just so you know uh michael dell founded the dell computer corporation <laughs> in 1984 while a student at the university of texas austin usa uh what problems or challenges do you have with Number Nine Dream? Um, well, I suppose it comes back to that thing again of uh, how young I was when I read it, <laughs> and I come back to it now and I enjoy. I, I, I do still enjoy the prose, even if it feels overwritten, and um, I do. I I still enjoy all that stuff, but I, I do come back to it now, and I I, I think. The things I liked about it then aren't what I like about it now. And maybe the things I liked about it then were a bit surface level. <laughs> um, so the problems are my reaction to it. In terms of um, a read, I mean, I'll say that it's a, it's, a, it's lovely to read. It's very quick. It's very fast moving. Um, and um, But it does have, it is a jarring shift of tone. It is um, when 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 a scene or a trick or a stunt changes within the book. Um, you, as I said when I first read it, I got to the next bit where it restarted. And I was like, "Is this a printing error?" You know, and, <laughs> you know, um, and so so for some people, they might find that that is um, slightly off-putting. But all I'd say is, stick with it. Stick yeah. with it. I mean, it might It'll be take... a flaw. It's definitely a potential flaw, isn't it? If when you're reading it, you might think that they've just printed the book twice, like halfway <laughs> yeah. through. Um, yeah, I, I think I think one of the things I find really interesting when I get people on because we often get writers on the show. Sometimes we get other people, but we we usually try and get authors. And so I think authors are particularly kind of focused on on the craft a little bit, and so they yeah. enjoy things that really play with that. Uh, so you know, we've had um, we had James Wallace talking about a void, uh, which is uh, I think it's got it hasn't got the letter E in it. I think the whole way through. Oh, is that one? Yeah, okay, yeah, fine. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's the thing you haven't read it, but or no. but you you've heard I of that it, yes. one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And the thing I do wonder is it, is it about. Tiresome? Well, that's the thing. The thing. So the thing I wonder about this of it kind of <clears throat> constantly restarting. Doesn't it get a bit tiring? Well, it only does it for the first oh twenty pages. Oh, okay. and then it, then it gives you a new trick after that. Okay, um, and, yes, there is, and as I say, there is a story here. It's actually it's actually quite a nice, heartwarming story about a man trying to find a well boy really, um, trying to find his father. You know, um, uh, and realizing that maybe maybe you know it was the friends he made along the way or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's, it's it's not it's not like massively out there in terms of um, 
you know, it's not, I could have brought some really challenging, horrible books with me um, today, but I brought a quite nice soft one. <laughs> well, 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 we'll make a note ne- never to invite you on the show yeah, again. That's, right. yeah. that's fine. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds really interesting. Um, I, I, I think a lot of, again, I think a lot of writers have do have a real interest in Japan. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of very interesting writing that comes out of Japan. I mean, again, though, David Mitchell is not from Japan. <laughs> like, That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a. Uh, I think I'd be absolutely terrified to try and write something set in, like I write my my novel that is in a shell in a cupboard and one day will get released or whatever but but that's that's set in north wales and i live yeah. in warrington which is not yeah. very far from north wales and i still found that a cultural challenge to write you know so writing something the other side of the world sounds a bit terrifying yeah i mean i think i think um you know he, when you hear david mitchell talk about his process um he is he's very very dedicated to it he has a book called oh something like the thousand daydreams of something de hewitt or something like that um the zoet um and so in that he's got english french german and dutch and then you've got upper class lower class um etc um and he, he was talking about how he had to translate everything so he wrote the book and then he had to translate everything for the different um kind of accents you know um that, that were present present there because even if he was writing in english um, he had to he had to reflect that in some way, um, reflect sort of the the nature of the speech, yeah. um, in in those ways. You know, have and, you and, have you ever read? Um, it's it's not high literary fare, but have you ever read the uh, Monsieur Pomplamousse series by <laughs> uh, Michael Bond, who wrote Paddington? No, I haven't. I haven't. So it's I? an it's an ad. Uh, you know what? They're pretty great. Um, yeah. I mean, they're very easy reading, but they are aimed at adults. But what they do is, um, so it's it's a sort of detective <laughs> series. But the the protagonist is he writes for Le Guide, uh, which is a, <laughs> okay. it's like a Michelin like star yeah. equivalent. But what he does the whole way through is it's totally scattered with high school French or you know secondary school French. Yeah, which probably means that me, you know. So do you remember what a pomplamousse is? Um, is it hair stuff? I think I think it's a watermelon. Um, oh, okay. But like when I said the guide, yeah, yeah. Like when, when I said the <laughs> yeah. guide, you know that's the guide, you know. And like so, the whole way oh, through, wow. actually. I, thought, I mean, that, I thought you were so sophisticated for a second there when you were saying the guide, and here we yeah. are. It's just it's just the guide, amazing. But so the whole way through, actually, <laughs> it drops in quite a lot of French, you know. So like you know, yeah. so then the uh, you know the gendarme turned to me and said, "Go and do this," and and it, and the. It does it so well that even if you've forgotten that gendarme is policeman, like mm. from the context you pick it up and it makes you feel so clever. You feel like you're like reading French just because it's got the odd noun dropped here and there, uh, which I think is fantastic. And you probably remember those things as well. Yeah. In a I way think, that you might not if you'd sat down and read a textbook. Absolutely. I think that is fair. So, awesome. I think we've got a good understanding of Number Nine Dream. Why do you think people should hunt it out for a read? So you should hunt out Number Nine Dream for, for, for a good read because I think it's David Mitchell's best book. 
I think it actually is. He, he's written a lot of very well-regarded books. The Bone, the Bone Clocks is a, a top one, and Cloud Atlas obviously is very well known. But um, this is kind of, um, I feel maybe he's like slightly unloved child um, by by some people because Ghost Written is his um, first first book, which is again set in Japan across multiple eras, um, and uh, this has got such a a tighter view and so much more fun in it you know there's 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 you know just just hitting the section where you get the series of tiny stupid short stories um and going oh okay so hold on i well so he gets into trouble i'll say he gets into trouble and then you hit this (laughs) so there's this high high drama and then you hit this moment of oh we're doing (laughs) we're doing um stories about um a, a, a goat writer, um, which is a pun on ghost writer, which is ghost written, on his previous book, Ghost Written. Um, uh, a goat writer who eats, he, he can never finish a story because he eats his own pages. Um, that sounds, said, how, how long are these stories? <laughs> Could you share one now? I, let me see if I can find the section. Um, goat writer, yes. That that That's the kind of thing that would inspire me to write a, uh, a role play game and, and spend a, uh, you know, because you know, Tyrannosaur Inside came from yes. um, what's his name, um, the guy who did who did Nova, making a pun online mm. on uh, on a T Rex crawl, uh, like, uh, and then literally the whole thing came from that. So that's, I mean, I think that's maybe where the best ideas come from. Um, Bad puns. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And then just taking it a little bit too far. <laughs> have you read Have you read Board of the Rings? <laughs> no okay i'm not i'm not sure about that one <laughs> <laughs> there's a i've got it on the shelf there somewhere but um it's quite bad but yes. the last page is absolutely genius it has it has um have you got it no i'm just thinking um did tolkien tolkien is it tolkien who wrote beowulf no i don't know which is a like i think it, i thought it was tolkien and it's um it's his version of beowulf but it's like a kid's funny version uh, it's bee wolf. Um, it's something to do with being a bee as and a, and a wolf rather yeah. than bee wolf. Um, anyway, but anyway, that, so that's you know. It, I'm just saying it happens to all of us, even. But Board of the Rings, Board of the Rings was written by a team of National Lampoon writers, so it's just at a very particular level of right, not yes. to rig and hear. But the only the only <laughs> bit I thought was quite the last page is is the door the do- he's just got home back to his hobbit hole and the door knocks and he opens the door and then there is a full page of like and then on his front doorstep is a hundred elves balancing 700 swords glimmering with the light of a thousand suns and underneath them like just but like that for an yeah. entire page of ridiculous things and elephants with 17 you know and then and he just says no and shuts the door and that's the end of the book like, <laughs> um, um so i can i can give you a little reading of uh, one of the stories is they are a couple of pages long so they are very short but probably too long still, but i can give yeah. you i'll give you a tiny bit of it um so this one this one's titled hungry town mrs comb laid her final egg for the week she nestled it in cotton wool, placed it and the others in a wicker basket, and covered them all tea towel. Then she ran through her shopping list the final time. Size 9 knitting needle, knit lotion, Indian indigo ink, Polish polish, Zanzibar marzipan, two cans of Canadian toucan candles. A knock on her boudoir door was followed by a goat 
Goatwriters. <clears throat> yes, sir. The door opened and Goatwriter squinted over his glasses. I believe my market day is with us again, Mrs. Combs. Aye, sir. I'm off to sell my eggs. Splendid, splendid. I sense a shocking shortage of short stories hereabouts. I thought perhaps you could take one of my volumes to the market and see if the story broker would come along. You never know supply demands and all that. And it goes on. Um, <laughs> but you've then got like the, the inner thing of the sh- in the short story, a short story yes. compendium being sold and a yes. joke being made about there not being enough short stories. And, and this is in the context of um, a joke, basically the whole section being a joke about um, a, a, a writer who's writing these crap short stories to warm themselves up, right? So, um, and so, and that's within, and that's within this book where every now and again, basically David Mitchell decides I'm changing everything to amuse myself. So yep. it's sort of like the whole thing. It's a bit like, have you read Man in the High Castle? I haven't, no, I have. Okay, I mean, so, it's very bad to say that you've uh, <coughs> that you've watched bits of the Amazon TV show, but not actually uh, read it. But uh, I don't. I don't think the Amazon TV show, TV show has anything to do with the. Um, oh, the, does it not? Well, there we go. Well, it, it does. Sorry, it does. But it, I don't think it can really express um, Philip K. Dick's, um, well joke taken too far. Which is, um, it's what if the Nazis and um, Nazis have won the war and taken over America. Um, for a great part, and China taken over the other side of America. Um, and if you're living in the Chinese part, that's that's okay. So it's it's about that. And then these people decide that they're going to go and find this writer who's written this alternative history book. Yeah. Um, about what if um, Britain had won the war? Um, and then in that book, though, it's not simply our version of things where the the Allies, you know, did come out come out on top. Um, it's about a war where. Um, uh, Churchill goes completely mad and becomes like emperor um, of far. He becomes Napoleon, basically, yeah. um, of vast swathes of the world. Um, you know, and uh, it's just this sort of. So within the book, there is a in this alternative history book. Within it, there is a someone writing an alternative history book, uh, which is in itself an alternative history to the history we know. And there, you know, there we go. Um, and it's just sort of like I, it, it's Russian I dolls again. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, maybe I only maybe I only like one thing. <laughs> I think I've I've read two two World War Two alternate fiction books. One's called mm. I can't remember what it's called. It's called like Operation Gordon. I'll hunt it down, but <laughs> yeah. but it's actually really it, it's 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 if Britain planned for an invasion by Germany, um, mm. how they would have put the seeds in for an underground um, like an underground resistance. So I think yeah. Operation Gordon, or it might not be called that, which will obviously undermine anyone googling this. Um, <laughs> but, um, but like Operation Gordon, those are the the sleepers who were set in place. But before invasion comes, uh, that's quite good. And then um, uh, Stephen Fry wrote a book as well. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, um, I'm trying to remember which one, what that one was called. But in that one, they managed to do time travel enough to send a um, contraceptive tablet uh, into the water supply in Hitler's village where Hitler was born. Um, okay. So he's so he's never born. Um, yeah. But then what happens is Himmler instead steps into the gap and is so much more effective. And yes, so their aim to end things actually makes everything worse. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Any other recommendations if people have, you know, you've mentioned some other David Mitchell there. Anything that if people enjoy this one that they should also hunt out? Oh. Yeah, do re- I mean, do read Cloud Atlas. I know I've, I've spent time 
bashing on it. I think it's because they made a film out of it. I'm probably just sour that they made the the, the, the wrong book into a film. But um, but if you, I mean, if you like this and you um, you know, and you like uh, magical realism, um, then obviously you could you could read other magical realist books. You could read Alan. Uh, Isabel Allende's books, for example. Um, she's uh, South American. Um, she's the daughter of um, the Chilean president, I believe, um, who was assassinated um, before Pinochet came to power. I believe that's right. Um, and then the other... Which, which one of her books would you recommend? I've completely forgotten all of their names. You're going to have to let me turn around and look. If I can find it. To the uh, people listening to the podcast, he's he's turning around and surveying a vast bookshelf and not just turning around and typing into google on a computer <laughs> like so if you're going to read any uh, isabel allende um you probably want to read house of the spirits which is kind of where it all starts um so people often talk about magical realism as this thing which only belongs to south america um and that's because um there is a particular um magical realism is when the metaphor is real um so and you're often talking about you know the, uh, the the dead will sit up and talk to you or something like that and it is sort of a, a blurring of the spiritual and the um the fictional um in, within within the world of the book um uh, and this is uh, is said to be a um reaction to the um the various dictators that have have cropped up in south america um over the years and the way that you can't say anything directly because saying anything directly is quite a lot of trouble um so uh so that's where it, that's where the kind of form uh, originates from but then you have you know people like david mitchell or um or uh, murakami you know you can go read murakami if you want to read um some uh some some jolly good nonsense basically you know um i actually recommend his book about running uh, which is actually about running it's i think it's called what i talk about when i talk about running um and uh it's literally literally just about um that or otherwise uh, a wild sheep chase that's good fun as well yeah i mean i've 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 read uh what i talk about when i talk about running running by murakami yeah i mean it is i do think it's it's excellent i'm i'm not really sure what it's about (laughs) it's about about running it is about running yeah it's it's a bit like how zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance is is about motorbikes though <laughs> like in the same <laughs> no, sort no, of way this is the, this is the thing with so my my um my dear brother he uh he, he loves murakami and he um he picked this up and he thought oh this is a fun name for a book it'll be like his other ones that are named weird things um this will be probably about i don't know someone um looking for their um looking through their great arts manuscripts and um discovering that she um uh she uh you know used to um herd wolves by moonlight um, in a past life or something like that um and it will be about that um but uh no no um this this is <laughs> this is a book about running and how how he doesn't stretch because he does that later and uh and how you'll never get your best time in summer or winter you're gonna get it in october and it's like <laughs> i think it's really about running <laughs> it is it, it um, is it was i found it very readable as well okay yeah. fantastic thank you for talking to us chris as ever we have we have uh, <laughs> ranged over a wide variety of topics, some of which are the ones we intended to discuss. So that's good. <laughs> a for effort.
Uh, just for those who have been listening and haven't drifted off, um, <laughs> I've been Chris Lowry. Uh, you can find about me at allaboutchris.org or all over the web as at CM Lowry Author. Chris, where can we find out more about you? Um, so you can find about me, Christopher John Eggett, at uh, either cjeggett.co.uk, where you can read um, archives of my uh, previous life of being a literary newsletterist, um, and you can get lots of other weird little recommendations of stuff there. Um, or you can go to uh, you can go find Ada Press on uh, itch. Uh, itch.io uh, and you can find um, games that I've made most of which are free um, some of which are um, not for free and are in print and I believe Chris may have even a copy in his shop there will definitely um, be a link will... in the podcast notes to the Sluggerath yeah, the, uh, the, the, the taming of the Sluggerath a solo pit crew uh, where you play a fancy background creature uh, attempting to find a mythical um, another mythical creature um, of its uh, its tribes um Myth uh, and trying to bring it home. Um, there's definitely elements. Dying. There's definitely elements of magical realism going on there. I think like uh, there's a lot of nonsense. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, this has been a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. If you've enjoyed this, hunt out our other episodes and our other podcast. What is roleplay? Uh, me and Chris have have talked a bit about uh, roleplay games and. Uh, what we do with what is, what is roleplay is take a really basic approach from the perspective of people who don't know anything about roleplay games. So if you're an author, if you're a reader and you'd like to know more, check out what is roleplay. If you can go somewhere and give us a five-star review, that'd be great. We do have, we've had the podcast listened to about 7,000 times now, which is quite a lot of times, but wouldn't that be great if that was 7 billion times? Uh, and that will happen or be more likely to happen if you give us five stars. Um, and our aim for uh, 2023 has been to sustainably pay Dave, uh, who is our in-house artist, editor, website maintainer, and general, I say dog's body in a very nice way, as in he does everything and he's amazing. Um, and our hope for that is that we'll manage that through our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash beyond cataclysm. So far, we have zero people supporting our Patreon, so it hasn't gone very well. However, website sales have been very good. So we have been sustainably paying Dave. So that is fantastic. But we would love it if you could visit our Patreon where you can get behind the scenes updates and get hold of podcasts faster than the quite slow and rubbish uh, rate that we re release them at the moment. I'll stop talking now. Do you have any final words you'd like to say, Chris? Um, I think we should just very briefly talk about um, uh, ISBN and coffee. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think we should just very briefly mention that. <laughs> yeah, so um, ISBN Coffee we did on Kickstarter. Uh, it is still available for pre-order. If you go, if you search ISBN Coffee, uh, we are the first links about that because it's an idea where we've put an ISBN number, the international standard book number uh, that you find on the back of every book published since 1964, I think it is. But that weird barcode that you find on the back of a book, uh, we've put that barcode on a bag of coffee, which breaches the regulations of the International Standard Book Agency. Uh, <laughs> and so then what we've done is we've printed that number on a companion book called ISBN Coffee. So it's a bag of coffee and a book about coffee with a cool front cover uh, and loads of fun stories in it. And Chris has written a game uh, for that. Uh, what's the game called again? 
It's called One More Sip. Um, it's a it's an attempt at a kind of idle game where um, you know how you forget a cup of coffee and have a sip, and then suddenly you're like, oh, that's hotter, colder, bitter, more bitter, more sweet than I expected a moment ago. Well, imagine if you were also trying to write a short story, and um, that sip told you whether um, uh, not what happens next, but how the thing you thought was going to happen panned out. There you go. So that's uh, there's, and there's there's a few other games in there. Uh, there's even a there's a, a sort of like a bit like a game like Go uh, that uses coffee beans uh, that we've got in there and lots of short story and fiction and it's quite fun and you can get it with some coffee. So check that out at beyondcataclysm.co.uk forward, forward slash ISBN coffee. Probably. That's probably the link. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. A pleasure to have you. you. You've just listened to this book I read, hosted by me, CM Lowry, and starring CJ Eggett. Find out more about us, our podcasts, opportunities for submissions to our projects, and more at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye!